BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you're having a great week. And guys, I gotta tell you, I'm excited for the next two pay-per-views. And on today's show, I'm gonna talk about all the hype that's going into these two cards. Plus, Hazmat Shemaev has made a call-out. We got all that and more to get to today, but let's start with this. Bo Nickel versus Drekus Duplexus for Bo's first time in the UFC. December 10th, what do you guys think? That's a hard fight. Drekus is a very good fighter. In my opinion, he's very good and he's extremely aggressive. Hold on, I want to make this point though before I lose you guys. I was talking to you yesterday about what would Bo should do. What Bo should do and where he could go. And I brought Hosmet Chemaev in. Now, I brought him in because Bo brought him in. And I realized that Chemayev's not going to fight Bo Nickel. No matter how much I argued it for you yesterday that it makes sense and we should do the fight. I, I understand that. I wasn't using Hosmot to be a literal Hosmot, though. I was using it to talk about a tough guy. A tough guy, a known guy. Let's get this figured out and let's do it right now. Now, I think the Drekus Duplicis is a very hard fight. Before somebody thinks that Chael saw the card wrong, I've been telling you as calmly and for as long as I can Drekus Duplessis and Darren Till isn't going to happen. I will continue to tell you that until it turns out that I'm right. But as I look at the card, and Bo Nickel right now is scheduled for an undercard. Now, you got to understand this is Vegas and this is a pay-per-view. It doesn't really matter how much hype you have behind you. Vegas and a pay-per-view is something special. You guys might remember back. Seven weeks ago, Patty the Batty. Patty the Batty, for his second time packed the O2 Arena. He got the loudest reception of the night, but he also showed that the skills match the hype. That's the first time we really got to see the potential and the skills of Patty the Batty. He plastered flying colors. The media starts asking Dana about that. What are you going to do? Dana said, take the guy to Boston or New York. I don't know why those two cities. I wish there would have been a follow-up question, but Dana said we're going to take him to Boston or New York. We're going to get him on pay-per-view, and then we're going to bring him to Vegas. Now, we don't have all the reasons why. We don't know why Boston, we don't know why New York, we don't know why pay-per-view comes later and, and why Vegas is the ultimate home run. We don't know. There was no follow-up question, but these are still the words. So we know there's a formula within that somewhere. And Bo Nickel is going to start in Vegas 
for pay-per-view. And I must word it that way. Right now, the card and the way that it's laid out appears that Bo will be the main event of the undercard. Now, that is an extremely coveted spot, but guys don't understand it. All they hear is undercard. That's a completely different program with completely different programming, and you're going to main event that. To put that in perspective for you, on Conor McGregor's second fight, his second fight ever in the UFC, that's the exact spot that he had. He was the main event of the undercard. He was opposite Max Holloway. Big deal. Big deal that they're giving Bo this position. And I brought to you guys yesterday... December 10th is when Bo's going to be fighting, and he's going to be televised. And there wasn't any 85-pounders that spoke up. I found that odd. I find that very in line with what people do, never trying to get themselves an opportunity, pretending, pretending they want it all and pretending they're hungry and pretending they're sacrificing and telling anyone that will listen they should be getting more. But then when the opportunity comes to actually compete and do some heavy lifting, I just don't see a lot of it. Now, when I tell you that nobody called out, but that's a literal statement with one exception. Darren Till said, I'll fight him. Now, just so you understand where that's coming from. Darren, Chemayev, good buddies. Bo calls out Chemayev. Chemayev has other plans. As of right now, it's 185 pounds and it's Colby Covington. I realize those two don't go together. But Till, to show his support to Chemayev, is going to take on the guy that called him out and Till said that he would do it. Now, I only bring that to you because Darren Till and Duplices, that, that fight's not going to happen. But I don't know which guy is going to be left without a partner. And Till has already said, I'll fight Bo. I believe you're going to have Bo versus Duplices, but you could end up having Bo versus Till. I just want to know what you guys think, because I, I gave some really good reasons yesterday. I explained to you that build a fighter is not a thing. But once you have a fighter built, and I had some of you come in and push back and say, well, he'll get beat. And? Right, I mean, there's, there's a competitor inside here. What, what is your point on saying that Bo would get beat? Bo shows up to practice every day at Penn State. There's three guys in that room that can beat Bo. Just so you know, within the room, there's three guys. So this is not somebody that's afraid to compete. If I was to look at last year, removed from college and on the senior level, the only competitions that Bo entered, the only ones, with a bracket full of guys that could all beat him. And Bo could beat them too, but that's what they went out to contest. And that doesn't mean if overseas with the Iranian, of which Kyle Schneider was in the bracket. It doesn't matter if it was domestically, where he's got to deal with Zahid, and then he's got to deal with Taylor, and then he's got to deal with Taylor again in the same day. Bo only goes into competitions that are going to be a potential problem for him. Now, if I was to look at history, let me tell you some other guys that did it. There's a guy named Islam Makhlchev who's about to fight for a world championship. He lost his first fight that he ever did in the UFC. There was a guy, good friend of mine named Pat Cummings who walked in on day one and took on Daniel Cormier. And this isn't back before we know who Cormier is. It was a co-main event spot of a pay-per-view only to be trumped by Ronda Rousey. 
which, by the way, became a number one contenders match for Cormier because his next fight was against Jones for the belt. I'm just offering this. There was a guy from Brazil who was supposed to be a secret leg loss specialist, specifically a heel hook, named Husamar Pelharis, who debuted on pay-per-view opposite Dan Henderson, who had fought for multiple belts around the world. And Pelharis was very good at heel hooks and probably would have caught Dan. Probably would have caught him. I will just tell you, as Dan's teammate, that's a tricky position. But every one of Husamar's manager, Bustamante himself, who cornered and managed him, everybody involved with Husamar, told us all that he was going to heel hook Dan Henderson. So it was a pretty good clue for us over at Team Quest when we're preparing Dan Henderson, at any rate. At any rate. The idea of competition doesn't scare everybody. He could beat him. He could kick his ass. That's not a reason to not go and do it for everybody. You're talking about you when you say that, but in all, but you really are. Bo did not go on the mat with the Iranian last year knowing he was going to beat him. He knew I could lose this match. He did not go on the mat with Valencia knowing I can take care of you. He knew he could lose the match. Same thing with Taylor. But he walked out there anyway, and he volunteered to do it. Against Taylor, he did it twice in one day, and he was prepared to do it three times. Just so you understand who you're dealing with here. So when you have these guys that catch fire, when you have these guys that catch on, believe me, I know the idea of derailing him and why you think that that could be a bad idea. I will just share with you that Pelharis, who lost his first fight, went on and headlined three UFCs. Islam, who lost his first fight, is getting ready to be part of the biggest fight of the year. Pat Cummings went on, had six more contests. And the biggest star that the UFC has built, the biggest star that we have in the entire heavyweight division is named Tai Tuivasa, who got beat up a few weeks ago by Surreal Gone. But going into that fight, we knew he was going to get beat up. There was no protection for him. There was no coverage. Here you are, main event, five rounds against a guy who's only lost once. Oh, and you're going to fight him at home. Good luck, Ty. Did that damage Ty? Do any of you have less respect for Ty to Ivasa? Do any of you believe that he won't return to a main event? Do any of you believe he's not just one marquee win away from a world championship? I'm just sharing with you. There's two sides to it. I realize I had all of history to bring out and cherry pick some examples. But Bo Nickel versus Duprisi, that's a good fight. Duprisi is a straight-up badass. The very first time I saw this guy, I have never forgot. I don't even get names right. You guys know what a hard time I have saying names? Duprisi. I took the time to learn his name because I respect him. This is a tough guy. He's going to be taking on Bo on very short notice unless he listens to me right now. Either Darren Till or Duprisi is going to be fighting Bo Nickel. Or at least we'll have an opportunity to. Duprisi's and Till booked on the same card as Bo and John Doe. Duprisi's and Till is not going to happen. Okay? That part I got. That part I got. I don't know what side goes down. That fight doesn't take place. Now, I don't have the evidence that you grab Bo and move him up. I don't have the evidence that we're not going to just put Bo against John Doe. But I'm suggesting it for you. I'm creating the conversation. And you guys are going to agree with me. You're going to go, whoa, Duprisi's. That's a killer. Yeah, that's a killer. 
We're asking him to take on a guy who's undefeated and has four world championships. I don't have a problem with that fight. Fight makes a level of sense to me. I don't have a problem with Darren Till who spoke up and said that he would do the fight. I don't think Darren Till needs to worry about Bo. I think he needs to worry about this Duprisi's business because this hasn't been called in yet. But trust me, it's coming. So after his contender series win on Tuesday, Bo Nickel called out Hazmet Shemayev. Shemayev is yet to respond because he's busy with a call-out of his own. Hazmat Shemayev has called out Colby Covington. Did this on Twitter. Colby Covington, you're next. And then there was like a skull and crossbones. But it was big. I didn't even see it when Shemayev saw it. I saw it when ESPN reposted it. It's going on around our industry. It's a real thing. What do you guys think? I know you love the fight. I know that you want to see the fight. And we know that the UFC loves the fight. We know that because they already tried to make it. Dana had announced on Pat McAfee's show that whoever wins between Chemayev and Burns, which ended up being Chemayev, would draw into Colby Covington. That was the night, to put in perspective for you, they were out on Long Island, and your ear fought Ortega. That ended up being the main event when this Chemayev and Colby business didn't come around. I'm just, I'm just wondering what you think. I know you like the fight. I'm wondering, do you think that we can get it? Now, I, I got a lot out of this. And Chemayev every few days will call somebody out. He kind of has to because nobody ever accepts the fight with him. Nobody's ever trying to fight Chemayev. So once he throws out an idea to test who's got the, the balls around here or not, or to reveal somebody that doesn't, he's, he's then got to move on to the next guy. But I don't know where Colby is. I don't know where Colby is mentally or physically. I just haven't heard from Colby. He's been very, very quiet. He has this thing, whatever that is, going on in the in the courts with Masvidal. But Masvidal's still being active. Masvidal's talking. UFC has stated that whatever that is won't preclude them from being booked. And possibly it means nothing at all. I'm just laying out a time frame. Ever since I saw Colby and he was dealing with that, I, I haven't really talked MMA. Now, what if they're not related? Not related at all. He's in the gym. He's roaring to go. It's going to be very hard to get Colby back. And I believe we're only in this spot because Jemayev didn't make weight. By the way, we will never know. We, we, we will never know. But we do know that whether... Shemayev was going to fight Leon next or not. Whether that came around or not, we don't have a crystal ball. We do know that was being discussed. We know that when we didn't make Kamara versus Leon instantly. We know that when the audience was told Diaz versus Shemayev is a number one contenders match. And that um, statement was never amended. Shemayev would have won that night at 170. An effort to some degree to get Chemayev and Leon in there and have Kamara come in next. That effort would have been made to some degree. Memoir's trying to show you how fast things change in this industry. We don't know anything until we know them. You see something, something crazy. I mean, right, it's one of these things. You see them all the time. Hard to plan, hard to be too far ahead, but I do think Chemayev not fighting at 170 is what's going to cost him the title fight. 
And now we have a discussion of does Chamayev come back at 170 or does he go to 185? It is an important decision. It's an important decision because it sets up the future. If Chamayev's next fight is at 170, he will stay at 170 for sure until it's either derailed or he gets the belt. Like his next fight's not going to be at 170 and he makes, but, but then the following fight's at 184. Wherever he goes next is where he's going to stay. Adversely, if he goes to 185 next, he will never return to 170. That isn't down the road. That isn't a future thing. That will be gone forever. Now, Dana spoke about a matchmaker's meeting. And he said that one matchmaker, right, there's, there, there's Mick and Sean in there, but one of them said, hey, let, let's book Chemayev at 185. Let's go get him a match. Let's do it at 185. Let's let's not let's let's learn from this past mistake. And the other one, we, we don't know who was. But the other one said, "Hey, I, I think he's a 70 pounder." Now they would come to that conclusion because of information that they were given somewhere, a trainer somewhere in the camp, a coach somewhere, somewhere, a teammate told each of them something different. That is the most likely scenario. But moreover, Dana said, "All right, we're one on one. We need to go and find out what he wants to do." Now, yeah, of course. I mean, of course you have to ask him what he wants to do. Of course you have to say, are you going to get to 170? I'm not sure I'm even going to give you an opportunity, but are you going to get to 170? If so, when can you do it by? What is going to be different this time? Remember, Shemaya's going to have to explain himself. He's going to have to explain, look, here's what happened. It's never happened in the past, which is why I've never missed... By a tenth of a pound, let alone eight pounds, and it won't happen again. Okay, great. As long as they hear that. As long as they hear, so you know, we wants to go 170. But I, I will tell you, it's a little bit surprising that that hasn't been weighed in on. And Chemayev has been anything but clear with us. I mean, I'm telling you about a tweet he just sent out to Colby Covington. Colby fights at 170. We're all aware of that, correct? But how much weight do I want to put into that? Because if I go one tweet down, it says 185. So if I just take Chemayev at his word, now he's having fun with this. He's doing something called trolling. He's changing that, that. He's doing nothing wrong. I'm just sharing. If I'm to take him at his word, he's a middleweight. And I go to that matchmaker's meeting and I try to get him a match at middleweight. If I'm to take him at his word, he's going back to 170 fight Colby. Now, could you even get Colby for that match? I think you could. I don't think it would be on the table. I think if Chemayev would have made weight, we'd be fighting away. I believe that was the move that they're going to do. They cannot do that now, it appears. So could you get Colby to take the fight, right? Colby's a hard guy to get to the table. He is the number one contender. At all times, he is risking something very big. It really is. He, he is risking his number one position. Now, he's not against doing this, but make sure it's a main event. Make sure it's pay-per-view. Make sure that everything's right. Make sure the right meet of opportunities are right. I mean, he has to look at those things, and he is in a little bit of a different spot because of that risk. Oh, and by the way, if you're the number one contender in Colby, and no matter how I do in this performance, I don't get a fight for the belt, then what's the point? I've got everything to risk, and I've got nothing to gain. Now, I'm only sharing with you, this is, Colby has the right to consider these things. And I believe that would be a bona fide. I believe he, he would get that statement made ahead of time, but they would go ahead and concede and say, yes, this is the number one contenders match. For sure, whoever wins takes on whoever wins between Kamara and Leon. And that would be Colby's opportunity to get in there for a third time. Potentially, right? A lot of things have to line up. Kamara's got to win. Colby's got to win. But I'm just sharing with you 
that promise would likely be made. And I think that's what it's going to take to get Colby back. Now, Colby's not going to love the idea of taking on a guy that just missed weight. It's a massively big deal. Massive, right? Massive to miss weight. But for your fellow competitors, they'll look at it as cheating. You cheated. We had a deal. You broke it. Any other agreement and any other rule, they call you a cheater. For some reason, you can break this one, and nobody says you cheated. But you did. And I share that with you because I don't love the idea that Colby could be put in that spot. That he shows up, he makes weight, he does everything right. Go out and have his number one contenders match. He's going to put it on the line against a guy that shows up three pounds overweight. And if Colby refused to go through with it, he would be the villain. He would be the one in the wrong. It'd just be a massive situation. So I don't know where Colby's at with Chemayev. It looks as though Chemayev is going back to 170. If he wants the number one contenders fight, it's got to go through Colby. I think it's an interesting match. I think it's an interesting proposition. I think if everything goes right and that promise can get made, I think you'll have Colby's attention. Let's fast forward a couple weeks to UFC 280 and let's spend a couple minutes on one of the most anticipated fight cards in some time. UFC 280, guys, what's your prediction? Get them in early. Get them in early because it's coming. And of course, what I'm talking about is the curse. Who's going to pull out? Who's going to have the injury? Who can't make the flight? Who? I mean, what's it going to be? We have had cards like this in the past. I mean, this thing is so stellar. This thing is so shockingly stellar that even if you go and look at the undercard, remember that Russian guy that jumped in the ring and punched Connor? That guy's on the card. Just by example, that guy's an undercard guy. People, somebody you would know. You look at the main event, this is the fight I never knew that I wanted. I am literally counting down the days. I found out that 280 is, is three and a half weeks away. Oh, I, w- I was depressed this morning. I thought it was sooner than that. I feel like we have waited for this car for the entire year. Truly. I feel like these fights have been, it just feels that way. I've seen more headlines, more talk about this, more questions at press conferences. There's shows before that. It never works that way. If you've got a pay-per-view here, people aren't asking questions about this pay-per-view. They stick it right here until that window comes. They've been talking about this card forever. And it's also, when I tell you it's the card I never knew I wanted, 2022 is a year unlike any year in UFC history. I just want you to observe that. It's very fascinating if you look at the UFC and their business practice. very interesting. It doesn't work a year ago. None of it. None of it works. I mean, let's look at your main event. Islam versus Oliveira. I personally did not want that fight until Oliveira was done with Gaethje. Just by example, Islam's going to take him down, he's going to keep him there, it's going to be five rounds of boringness. But you guys were on board with that, right? I mean, Islam's been trying to get this fight. His record is it's more beautiful now. I mean, he's like 15-1, and 16-1, and one, and the one was the first one. Years of beating people, and you just weren't after that fight. When it came out, it was a three-and-a-half-to-one spread. There, I don't know that there's been a huge fight in memory, a huge fight in memory that had a three-and-a-half-to-one spread. That would be the opposite of a huge fight. That would sound as though you've already got it figured out. If you already got it figured out, we have no business here. This business runs on anticipation. No other one word moves MMA forward 
More than anticipation. I can't wait for that fight. But one year ago, right? You get my point. If you were to look at Sterling versus Dillashaw, one year ago, we wouldn't have even discussed it. TJ was sitting on a suspension. If you were to look at Sugar Sean versus Peter Young one year ago, this match never would have come about. Yawn was ranked number two in the world, by example, if you want to go back 12 months ago. Sugar Sean wasn't ranked at all. Now, all of a sudden, it appears that it's a number one contender's bout, at least for Sean. That's a big bout. I mean, that's a massive match. And depending on how the championship match goes, it could even be a number one contender's match for Yawn. It's just not a conversation that you would have been having. Then you've got Darouche versus Gamrot. Now, that's going to be your fight of the night. That's going to be the most interesting and exciting 15 minutes that you get to witness. And then you finally get Sean Brady get an opportunity, and he's going to take on Blahal Muhammad. Blahal Muhammad will be opening the card. I mean, think of it. When I tell you what a big card this is, Blahal Muhammad, who has been nothing but main events, only plays in main events, only walks out for the last night. He's going to be opening the card. That's how loaded this is. Now, have we ever got something like this in history, something that we're actually counting down the days to, something that was this big, something that had that many great matches where somebody didn't come in and screw it up? And I'm just wondering who that's going to be. And before anybody thinks they're going to be dancing on the grave of UFC 280, we've got the replacements right on the card. I mean, Benning has already said if something happens to Islam or Oliveira, that he's stepping in. How accurate is that? I tend to believe it. Considering Volkanovski was turned away. Imagine UFC 280. Imagine what I just laid out for you. And you have Volkanovski waiting in the wings. Like, what happened? Why, why are we getting such a good card? Why are all these great fights here? Do we not know? Was this card starting to get thrown together? Maybe people didn't know who Sean Brady was. Maybe Blahal and Sean Brady hadn't started their public back and forth yet. But it, this is an oddly stacked card. So, of course, we're going to look at the main event first, right? And I think that it's very good news that Benny goes in against either. If Benny was only going to fill in if Oliveira wasn't there, well, then we don't have any problem for Islam. I mean, it's just one of these examples. The fact that Benny knows it's going to, he understands what the backup fighter is. And then what happens with Gamron, I don't know. But we got to start preserving the ones at the top. Look at Aljo and you look at Dillashaw. But if something happens there, we already have Sugar Sean and we have Peter Yan to choose from. I mean, just by example, this card won't hold up. The way that I just laid it out for you won't hold up, at least not historically speaking. The odds of it holding up are, are very, very slim. There's guys on this card right now that don't want to be there, just so you understand. And they might be talking the talk in the media. They're looking for their way out right now. One of them is going to find it, historically speaking. One of them actually will decide to pull the fire alarm. Do you guys know that story? You know a bomb threat story? Both stories true. Both stories at smaller fights. And you had a guy in the car that wanted out so bad. One guy pulled the fire alarm, had the building evacuated. And the other guy called in a bomb threat to have the building evacuated. You don't think that you would see that in the UFC, but we saw something happen two weeks ago. You chalk that up and call that whatever you want. A very nice young lady who I've told you stories about, Aspen Lad, my pen pal. I told you I didn't know if I was being catfished. It wasn't Aspen Lad. Okay, fine. 
but she just got released for missing weight. It was so many times I've lost track. Could have been four times. I know for sure it's three, but it could have been four. Now, I want good things to happen to Aspen. I will tell you, she's very sweet. And so is the person pretending to be her on Twitter. But you don't, you don't miss weight. I mean, you really do need to understand that, guys. There are times, there are exceptions. I, I hear you. But you don't miss weight unless you're trying to tell a story. M missing weight and then missing it again, it's a cry for help to some degree. To some degree. But it's still done on purpose. You want somebody to get in there and make a decision. For some reason, you didn't know how to say it. Now, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to stay on lad. I think she's having a hard day. I'm using her as an example because it's most recent. When I tell you that people don't want to fight, they don't want to fight, but they don't really know the way out. It's very hard. You get pulled in, here's where I am. You got a trainer, you got a manager, you got your parents, whatever it is that puts you in that position. And we have stars on UFC 280 right now that don't want to be there. I don't know who they are. I'm not calling them out. I'm sharing with you, they exist. And if history is our trajectory to the future, somebody's going to pull out. And they'll have a great excuse, right? They won't call it a bomb threat or pull the fight. They, they, we have better ones now. We have, oh, I got my shoulder. I mean, you, we've got all sorts. I'm just wondering who it's going to be. Who do you guys think? Someone's pulling off that card. One of those great fights that I just lined up will not happen. If you had to predict who the first one to come up with the excuse and find a way out is, who do you think it's going to be? Michael Chandler was spouting off about Islam Makhachev, and Chandler's taking a little bit of heat for this. Now, here's what Chandler said. He said Islam might be a great fighter. I actually don't question that he is, but to put him with the accolades and to hold him as high as we do in this sport against the opponents that he's faced, I, I, I think that's a little premature. Now, I don't think that's a bad statement, by the way. And you want, to, you want to know one other thing why I want to defend Michael Chandler here? If anybody has the right to stick his finger in Islam's chest, there's one guy. There's only one guy, and it's Michael Chandler. And I, I'm giving Chandler that credit, and I'm giving him that pass, because Chandler called Islam out. Nobody's ever called Islam out. Make sure you understand that. Charles Oliveira did not call Islam out. Now, Charles Oliveira is gung-ho and he's doing everything right, but I'm just sharing, when he did speak about Islam, he said, give me anybody else, and he was very open to do it. And he had his reasons, but they were very similar to the 170-pounders that didn't want to fight Chemayev over the last couple of years. Well, he's not ranked high enough. He hasn't beat enough guys, right? It was all of these things where you're going, hey, this sounds like he's a pretty hard fight. Now, I don't mean to at all get into Oliveira's soup on this one. I want to stay on Chandler's. Because there is something about that when you're one of the boys. I mean, you want to go and look at the record of Michael Chandler and who he's fought and who he's faced. And not just within the Ultimate Fighting Championship, right? Because Islam fired back at Chandler and talked about the, the two wins that he's got. Well, I got to stop you right there. Because Michael Chandler doesn't have two wins. I've watched Michael Chandler whipping ass since 2013. I mean, just in all fairness, and just because he's new to an organization. Now, I got no problem that Islam's firing back. I like that Islam has found his voice. If Islam is going to go out there and he's going to get through Charles, he needs to know what's next. And if Islam's starting to set the table 
oh, by the way, the calendar matches up perfectly because it's Poirier versus Chandler. I mean, I see where you could play a little bit of chess here, and I'm not against it, but I do like the fact that Islam's coming back. I want to stay on Chandler. This is a real thing, guys, and I've dealt with this myself. I felt as though nobody could match careers and resumes with me. No one. But then I would go read what other people said, and it wasn't Chael at the top. Not all the time, at least. And I'm going, wait, guys, just, just, well, Chael, you lost this fight. Whoa, whoa, hold, just a second. I fought simultaneously, and nobody less than a world champion. At 185, 205, and heavyweight, I covered the spread any time, short notice or no notice, one-on-one or five-on-one. That wasn't appreciated. That wasn't the way the story was told. Story was told, Chael, you just lost to Fedor. I'm going, so that provo- that provokes me from having a ranking at 185 where I've never lost a round and a weight class that I can still make. Well, yeah, that was the answer. Yes, it does. And I'm bringing that to you because if you go look at the lifting that Chandler did, and Chandler's going to want rewarded for that. Of course he is. Even the ones that didn't go his way, but they almost did. I mean, you go look at Oliveira, right? Lightweight has a champion and his name is Charles Oliveira. That caught on. I thought it was a little cheesy when he said it, quite frankly. He didn't speak a whole bunch of English. Somebody fed him that line. He memorized it, hit on the stage. Guys, we can put that on t-shirts. We can put that on bumper stickers. You guys loved that line. And the underground forum, I go to my own comment section on YouTube. I see that line all the time. Oh, I mean, over and over, I see that line. Lightweight has a champion, and his name is Charles Oliveira. Okay, good enough. I don't think that you're wrong for saying that. I think that you're being very nice and supportive. You don't like how the scale went in Arizona. I understand the whole thing. Michael Chandler whipped his ass. You're saying Chandler's down here and Oliveira's here. Michael Chandler whipped his ass. Michael Chandler was one punch in the middle of a scramble, well less than one second, away from the referee stopping that and giving him the win. So when these guys are riding off into the sunset, and then you got somebody coming in on a six named Islam who has not done the same lifting that you've done, now you can argue that point. Because we can come back and fight for Islam too and go, well, wait a minute, he's beating up everybody. and right, We can do that whole, he's 115 straight. We can do that, I, I understand. But I'm speaking if we're just to defend Chandler and where Chandler's mindset is. That's probably pretty damn annoying. I mean, I just, I really do understand that on a personal level. I beat a guy once upon a time for, for, for 24 straight minutes. He won one position. They kept him ranked number one, which I thought was fair. I, he did his job. He should have been ranked number one. I do agree with that. I wasn't in the rankings anywhere. I just thought that that was, I think that was weird. I thought it was weird the night that Glover Teixeira was 30 seconds away from retaining his championship. That is math. That is not our opinion. The scorecards were turned in. Glover did not have to win that round, and he did not have to beat the opponent. He just had to outrun the clock. Glover loses. He gets caught, and he loses. I thought it was weird that we were Prohaska's champion and Glover at four. How do you go from champion, oh, by the way, that I just beat this guy. We did 4.9 rounds, and I won. I agree he should have the belt. I agree that was fair and square. How do you put me down three spots while you put him at one? 
You guys might have an answer to that question. You may have absolutely no problem with it. I'm just sharing where Chandler's coming from. I don't think the Chandler is being disrespectful. Chandler's standing his ground. Chandler's not done trying to be champion of the world. And you know when guys are done. We see it two years before they see it. But you can also hear it. You can hear in the things they say. They quit getting competitive. They start standing back out of the way. Go look at our heavyweight division right now. The heavyweight division right now is standing back for Francis to heal his knee. They're standing back for John Jones to magically appear one day. And they're standing back for Stipe. They're not even calling their names. They're not even asking for interim championships. They're not demanding that they get in there and this become for the undisputed shit. They're not asking for a damn thing. But when guys start doing that, you got to listen. Right? When somebody tells you who they are, you got to listen. I'm just sharing for you what Michael Chandler's telling me and all that I'm hearing. I didn't hear any insults to Islam. I heard an observation from a fellow contender who's the one guy that stepped up and wanted to do the fight that he thinks that the competition could have been a little bit more stiff. That doesn't sound bad to me. Now, we're about to have a huge fight, right? Dustin Poirier versus Chandler is massive, and it's getting hotter. These guys can't even do interviews together. Dustin Poirier, for the first time ever, is mad. And it's based on, all right, don't forget the roots of this. It's based on the fact that when Michael Chandler broke bad and tongue-lashed a whole bunch of guys, he didn't say Poirier. So I'm just bringing that to you because if those guys can go do Madison Square Garden and have me counting down the days, and they are, Poirier and Chandler, they are, then Chandler questioning Islam's opportunity to even fight for a championship, let alone he's going to question if the guy wins the championship, I think it's fair game. I like that Islam came back. I like that Islam's not letting somebody put a finger in his chest. But there was nothing about that statement that was out of bounds for Michael Chandler. So after 280 in Abu Dhabi, we've got UFC 281. That, of course, is Adesanya versus Piera. The guys have both been going back and forth on social media. And recently, as a fight fan, I'm definitely entertained. Adesanya put a video out. Did you guys see this? It was a training video, and he had some kind of mechanism in front of him that it was like a bunch of squares, but they would light up, and it would light up with a number, then Adesanya would touch it, and Adesanya would touch it. I mean, it was fine. There was really not a lot on that. I, I don't imagine that that is a real training apparatus that Adesanya uses very often. I just wanted, I wouldn't imagine that. I would imagine he's got a buddy who talked him into doing this because he's selling these things on Amazon. I don't know any of that to be true. I'm just sharing with you in all of my years, I've never seen that. But I've seen versions of it. Anderson Silva used to do something with tennis balls, where they would throw tennis balls at him, and sometimes he'd just get out of the way, and sometimes he would catch him. I mean, you've got to find different ways to train. It gets so monotonous, guys. You know, really, you can only stand and jump a rope so long before you start to lose your mind. you got the speed bag, you got the double end bag, then you've got your mitt work. I mean, right, you've only got so many things. So if Adesanya's doing this and it, it causes some kind of reaction, like... I'm sure whoever created that board and hears me saying it right now, I'm really not putting your board down, but I also please don't come out and tell me all of the scientific reasons and what it does with your muscle memory and the stimulating of the... Stop. Stop. If Izzy needed a break, that's what you would do. And he did. Okay, so this video comes out. Pierre comes out. Pierre's on a hoverboard. 
Did you guys see that one? Now, I told you before, Piera doesn't come out very often. At the same time, Piera's never missed. Now, we're only at seven. This represents the seventh time that Piera has done something, but I could state all seven of them for you. And there's nobody in the sport right now or in the history of the sport that I could do that for. That I, I, I couldn't tell you how many interviews they did or how uh, what happened in those interviews. I only could do it with Piera. Something is going very well there. I didn't realize these two were related. I saw them both. I thought nothing of it. And Piera looked so good and so natural on that hoverboard. Like he was actually finding his opponent as he was sparring that I thought that was something that he did. I now find out that he did that to mock Adesanya's touching of this Christmas tree that's lighting up. Okay, fine. He got on a hoverboard and he sparred? I mean, I gotta start with, that's not something that he does on a regular basis. He was floating around that thing, getting out of the way of punches and floating into get, I mean, I'm just saying, like, that is an incredibly athletic thing to do. Shockingly, athletic thing to do. And the mere fact that Pierre was doing it to mock Izzy, that's good stuff for me. And I don't mean for the hype and the back and forth. I mean the mere fact that Izzy put out a training footage and Piera had seen it. He should be stalking his opponent. Piera claims that he has gone to bed every night for the last five years thinking about Adesanya. That's good stuff. I mean, that really lends you into a direction of competitive spirit. And I'll also tell you one thing about Adesanya. He's never had a partner. Adesanya has just had opponents. I mean, Adesanya walks to the ring. He's doing The Undertaker. He, you couldn't even remember what his opponent had walked out to, what song it was. And I'm sure it was a top 10 hit at one point, and you had just heard it one minute ago. But you can say that for all of Adesanya's fights. He's never had somebody that can work with him. Paulo Costa met him partway. But he even got Paulo a little bit before Paulo was Paulo, a little bit before he was out. And I would think that that would be a positive. But whenever something new happens, you have to wonder just that. How is the guy going to respond? If a guy acts just like you, you think people will like that. Oh, he'll like that. He'll understand. Well, not always, right? If you're in a fight and a guy keeps jabbing you and he won't stop, jab him back. He'll stop. If you're in a fight and a guy's making these weird movements, make them back to him. He will stop. People don't always like to see a mere reflection of themselves. Is it going to drive? Is it going to motivate Adesanya? Like, you'll get some jerk to come out there and say that. Yeah, I saw the hoverboard thing, and that's just going to drive and motivate. Stop. I mean, Adesanya is plenty motivated. He is the champion of the world. He's going into a fight with a rival of a different sport. Oh, and by the way, Adesanya made this fight. Don't ever forget that. Joe Rogan went into the ring, and Adesanya could have gone in a few different directions. Adesanya says, Joe, stop everything. This is my next opponent. So I don't know that Adesanya needs this motivation, but at the same time, Piera does need to be studying Izzy constantly. People evolve. People get better. Think about the first time that we saw Izzy fight in the UFC. A real blueprint for how to beat him was put on display. Many people thought Vittori did beat him. That includes one of the judges. It was a split decision. That includes Michael Bisping, who sat there and called the fight. I'm just sharing with you. They go rematch down the road. Vittori doesn't win a round, let alone almost win the fight. And that's not a commentary on Vittori. Speak of uh, Sonia getting better. So if Pierre thinks he's going to be getting in there with the guy that he saw many years ago, but here's the, he's not, he doesn't think that. 
He's watching him. He's studying him. He's preparing for him. And I would love to hear from you guys who the better striker is. And it's not as easy as they fought twice and Piero won. I heard Henry Cejudo say that yesterday. Now, that's really good math, right? Who's the better striker? Okay, they went and struck and this guy. This one. That, that's good math. I do understand, but there was more to those fights. That first fight, people thought that Adesanya won. It's the whole reason that they did the second match. Second match, Adesanya was winning moments. He gets caught. He gets knocked out. I mean, it was, it was a little bit strange. And then when you go straight over to MMA, right, it's the threat of the takedown. The takedown's not the big problem. You work on being in guard. You work on getting off of bottom. It's the threat of the takedown. It's worrying that he's going to come in. That changes your striking completely. And that took Pierre a minute. Pierre's first fight in the UFC, he didn't, he didn't look great. He didn't even look like a great striker. His second fight, he didn't look great. He didn't even look like a great striker. But he looked like a guy that was figuring it out. It's a good guy that understood range. He understood movements. He was doing detective work during the fight. He's watching everything that his opponent does. Then he's getting those rhythms down. And Adesanya's not going to come out and offer that threat. And Pierre is not going to come out. I'm just wondering who's better. Pure striking with the pillows on your hands is vastly different. Vastly different than four-ounce gloves. There has never been a boxing guy, ever, zero, that has watched an MMA practice before he got in. Right, He's, he's going to come coach the team, but he doesn't know him. He's going he's to come in and pop in for a day. He's going to watch these guys. Maybe he's going to watch for a whole week before he says anything. There has never, zero, been a boxing guy to come to MMA that isn't blown away at how little we use a jab. And on that boxing day, his first guy, he's going to come and show you how to do a jab. He's going to show you the effect of his jab. He's going to use lines from boxing, such as a jab controls a fight. But in the history of MMA, that's only actually happened one time. George St. Pierre versus Josh Koscheck is the only MMA fight in history where a jab control the fight. But if I go watch boxing, I could be watching nine-year-old kids. I could watch 19-year-old Olympians. I could be watching the pros at 29-year-old. The jab will control the fight. That's true. I'm sharing with you one of the differences. It's not because MMI guys don't do that or that they even observe it works in boxing. It's because with a four-ounce glove, it's not the same setups. It's not the same defenses. It's not the same reactions. It doesn't need to be. Now, I bring that boxing example over when I tell you, I'm wondering who the better striker is. But it's not as simple as they went and had a striking contest. There's more to this. And it looks like Piero wants to play. Piero is not totally comfortable in this. He doesn't quite know how. But I think he's holding his own. I really do. I think he's getting Izzy's attention. I do wonder psychologically... Is that good for him or is that bad? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And good news, guys, the UFC is back this weekend. Mackenzie Dern returns for a strawweight fight, so I hope you guys enjoy that. And make sure you're back here next Tuesday for another episode. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.